Welcome back to Deconstructing the Myth Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. Today, I chat with Liz Inns Petters, mother, author, podcast host, and fellow deconstructionist. We chat about how anxiety can impact deconstruction, parenting as your beliefs change, and what it's like to have a theological scholar for a parent as she deconstructs herself. Well, Liz, I'm so excited to have you here today because I found your podcast, you know, kind of early on in my uh, deconstruction. And um, I don't know, it's been really encouraging to me from a, uh, from a, a, like a mother's standpoint. I don't know if you have found this, but a lot of um, the groups and resources for mothers in my community are church related and which is great, but for someone who's deconstructing, it kind of felt like this virtual sort of, um, like mom's group of like-minded people. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I mean, I definitely agree with you about, you know, some of those little niches that you need as a mom and they're, they're hard to find, especially when you come from a religious community and then you leave that community. You know, I was involved in some things as a mom, even just like Bible studies or mops groups, and then you leave and you don't know what to do with yourself anymore. So that can be really, really hard. So, I mean, in, in a large part, you know, I created, um, with Esther, our deconstructing mama's podcast, because I felt like I needed that space for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so cool. I don't know if you feel this way, but it's kind of like, sometimes I feel like I'm, um, you know, I invite these guests on, but I'm like, I need, I want you guys, my friends, I want you to be my friends because you look online, you know, like someone who would relate. And it's like so fun to do the podcasting and have such like good conversations with like-minded people and not even have to leave, you know, the yeah. building. Yeah. So I feel like that, I get that vibe from you, Esther, a lot. <laughs> and the people you have on, I'm like, I love this so much. So, so many of like my favorite people I've never met in person. Yeah, right. Like, so many people that I love. Like, yeah, which is great. The internet's great for that. Mm, I mean, yes. When there's distance. Um, but I wish we could all live in this like little community yeah. where we could just support <laughs> each other every day. It's so true. It's so true. Well, for my listeners, I just wanted to start with your background. Could you just share with us who you are as a human, as a mom, um, but then also concerning your spiritual journey and your deconstruction? Yeah. So um, I was born into like a pretty conservative evangelical household. Um, so, I mean, since birth, I, I have been inundated with theologies and opinions about, you know, who God is and who Jesus is and what Christianity looks like and how to be a good Christian and a good Christian girl, especially. And so that started really, really young for me. Um, and I grew up with, I think a lot of questions very early on about specific things, um, in my religion that didn't add up, right. Um, things that probably a lot of us struggle with like, you know, people dying really young, why does this happen? You know, or why is there suffering in general? Or, um, you know, if God saves some people, why not other people? So just like all of these really, really big questions that the church just didn't really seem to know what to do with, right? They have these like sort of blanket statements for that. Oh, well, God's ways are higher than our ways, right? Or um, everything works out for good, you know, and just wasn't adding up for me. And so I think at an early age, I developed a lot of anxiety um, and a lot of fear because I felt like I was 
not getting the full message. Like I felt like there was not on purpose, but I think there was just like some, it felt like there was some dishonesty. Like hmm. if you're trying to tell me that if I follow, you know, these specific rules that I'll be safe, but the world is in a safe place. So what does that mean? Hmm. What is it that you're not telling me? Right. So even as young as like eight years old is when really my anxiety started getting bad. Wow. Um, and I don't think at that age, I would have attributed to religion. Um, and my parents probably wouldn't have either, but now looking back, I feel like that definitely helped sort of lay the groundwork for somebody who, um, you know, life just didn't make sense for. Hmm. Um, so a lot of my life really, um, was a little bit of a battle of my mind, I think, um, in a lot of ways, um, just struggle with anxiety for, for most of my life. And, um, I think there was some religious practices that weren't very helpful with that. Um, I ended up in my teen years, ended up, um, struggling a lot, uh, had an eating disorder and, um, what I now know to be some residual trauma effects, but, you know, at that time, that terminology wasn't really used as much. Mm, Um, You know, PTSD was for war veterans, right? Like no one else really dealt with that, right? Um, And now we have all of these terms. We have CPTSD, you know, we have all of this knowledge. And so now I know that that was some of what I was working through, but then I didn't know. Um, And ended up at a wilderness camp for a couple months and then a boarding school um, where I really started working through some... um, some emotional stuff. Um, but at that point, my religion was still very much a part of my life. I was still very, um, dedicated to Christianity. And when I wasn't feeling dedicated to Christianity, I sort of chalked that up as the devil getting in my way, right. Or the devil trying to pull me from God. And so there was still very much that battle happening in my mind, went to a small Christian college, didn't really feel like I fit in there. Um, didn't really feel like, I was on board with the religion in the same way that some of my peers were, but just kind of muddled through and I think faked a lot of it in, Mm. in some ways. Um, And it probably wasn't until my oldest daughter, she's, she's five and a half, almost six now, but when she was probably two, I started having some real reservations about sending her to Sunday school. Mm. Um, And just kind of decided in my mind, like, why am I doing this if it doesn't feel good to me? You know, why am I, why am I dragging our, like our family to church every Sunday? Why am I dropping my kid off at Sunday school? Like, why am I doing these things if this doesn't feel right for me? Mm. Um, Why do I feel like the need to do that? And so that, I really do think that that's when deconstruction started happening very fast for me. I think over the years it had been a journey that I was on, but Um, having kids, I think really shifted my perspective because I realized I just don't want, I don't want this lifestyle for them. Um, And that really changed everything. And then you kind of do this sort of face first dive down this, this hole that you don't know where it's going to lead and it's terrifying. And, um, and that's, you know, that's super, super tough. I will also say, cause you, you talked about this in your, um, in your podcast, is it the first episode? Is that your episode? Yeah, your the story? first episode was my interview, yeah. Yeah, and so if anyone wants to hear more of this fleshed out, check out Deconstructing Mama's podcast and check out the first episode. I remember listening to your episode and feeling so, 
I don't even know. It was almost like, oh, there's another one. Like there's another person <laughs> who, yeah. because I feel like mine, you know, in a way we, you and I, and people like us, I think kind of did have deconstruction happening very young, but we didn't know what it was. We didn't have right. words for it. And internalized it as something kind of maybe wrong with us. And I, I don't remember your exact quote, but in your first episode, you said something that like shook my world. I don't actually think I took it as you meant it. So I'm going to have you explain what you meant by it. But you said something like you were never good enough and you were never bad enough. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that. And then I'll tell you maybe like how that resonated with me. But what did you mean when you said that? Yeah, I mean, that has been sort of a theme for my life. Mm. Um, I've just always felt on the outskirts. But I think especially, um, I think that quote I meant very specifically for um, my time in wilderness and boarding school because I didn't struggle with some of the addictions that friends of mine struggled with, Mm. right? They were sort of like known as the bad kids. Um, at, in wherever they came from, their school, their home, whatever. Um, and I was kind of like, my therapist used to say to me, you're the all-American girl. Like, you're just the all-American girl, which was hard for me to hear because it felt like, oh, well, it had been bad enough that I had to be sent to a boarding yeah. school, right? Because I wasn't able to cope at home. But I, there wasn't, there was a sense of not feeling accepted there because everyone was like, oh, well, you're like the leader and you're the best one. And you're the one who, you know, who we go to when we need someone to support someone else. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of been a theme my entire life, like feeling like in some circles, um, they're like, oh, well, you're too religious or you're too Christian. Right. And then in other circles, it's like, oh, well, you're too agnostic. Huh. I'm like, well, you know, like, so there's, I think that was, I think what I meant Um, I meant specifically, I think that sort of boarding school setting, but it has been a theme throughout my life in many other areas where I just feel like I'm kind of towing the line between two things and I never really land in either court. Hmm. Which probably makes you the perfect person to have like your podcast, you know, and, and to kind of bring in these, like, uh, what would we call ourselves? The spiritual misfits. <laughs> We're like, oh, she yeah, gets yeah. it. <laughs> she gets it actually, you know, That's how I feel. but I just, I remember hearing your episode and it, 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 for me, I, growing up, I feel like I outwardly achieved so much that the problems my particular take on Christianity was causing were so bad internally, but like they weren't bad enough externally for anyone to pick up on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I feel like there were problems I had. I had depression very young. I did have anxiety. I think it was a little different than yours and how it manifested, but had the eating disorder, had the stuff, but it was never so bad that like anyone really noticed. And I kind of mourn that. I mourn that self-control sometimes, or that self-composure perhaps. And when you mm-hmm. said that, I, I know it's a different, it's not what you meant, but I was like, oh, wow. I wonder how many of us have been in that weird space of like, people are saying nothing's wrong with us or nothing should be really wrong with us. And yet we're living in this really hard space as young kids and it's wild. So Wow, I actually like that better. I like your definition oh, better. Do I you? I like. <laughs> I, yeah, I because I think that I think that's so that's so true too. I think for so long, I hid it until I couldn't anymore, yeah. and then it spilled out into other areas of my life. But I think 
nobody would have said, oh, this is because of this specific religious situation, right? It's like, oh, well, there's something wrong with this kid, not there's something wrong with this institution, right? So it wouldn't have been seen. It still would have felt hidden in many ways, the actual cause. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm just so curious about you because, you know, Pete ends is your dad who has pioneered so much. I feel like for the deconstruction community, at least, you know, with the works of his, I've been, um, introduced to, and I'm so curious, this intersection of your, um, upbringing. And I I think he's changed some views and how that's impacted your family. But before we get to that, I want to talk about if you're willing to a little more about this camp experience and about, um, I was just so intrigued when you talked about it on your show. Um, so you were, tell me if I'm remembering this correctly, you were displaying pretty intense anxiety at home and was camp sending you to this camp kind of supposed to be like the great reset or how did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the theory behind the camp program okay. is it's a reset. So I, I people, there was kind of varying walks of life at, at this camp um, who I was there with. There were kids who were court ordered there. Um, you know, there were kids who were, you know, a step away from juvie and needed the reset. There were kids mm. who just were really struggling and needed the reset. And so um, it was kind of varying degrees of trouble, I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I think they call it like a troubled, troubled teens is, is the phrase. I just was largely struggling with some pretty intense anxiety and um, agoraphobia. So really struggling to leave my house at mm. certain times. Um, my eating disorder was pretty strong. Um, I was really just in a state of hypervigilance, you know, which now looking back, I can say that I had no idea what was going on with myself during that time. I just felt like there was something really wrong with me. My parents were like, what is wrong with our kid? You know, Mm -hmm. but nobody really understood, um, some of the things that happen to your body when you experience, um, you know, complex trauma and just really what that looks like. Mm. So I went to this camp as sort of an in-between, um, between home and boarding school. So the plan had been that I was going to go to boarding school and I was going to finish out my last years of high school. So the in-between, um, this particular boarding school, um, highly suggests that kids go to this wilderness camp in between so that they can really reset. Hmm. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, and, um, yeah, a lot of people are really curious about it. They just like, can't really imagine. They just yeah. They're like, yeah. I just can't even imagine. It was definitely a very traumatic time in my life. It was a really hard experience. Um, and, you know, questioned my parents a lot about their decision, felt really abandoned by them. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of that, right? Um, And, you know, from their side, you know, they were doing the best that they could. They were doing what they thought was right, right. Um, They loved me and just wanted to see me find healing and weren't sure how else to do that. Um, So we can hold both of those spaces, you know, and we've worked a lot on that. You know, my parents can feel that they did their best, but it can still have had an impact on me, you know, negatively in some ways, right. So there's like both of those spaces that we're kind of trying to hold because it was a pretty intense experience. I do remember, though, that being a part of the wilderness program was probably the first time in my life where I felt like I could really handle hard things. Mm. Um, We were like hiking all day long, 
all day long. You start your own fire. You make your own tent. I mean, it's really, really like hard ass stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember feeling really proud of myself. Um, but it was another situation where, um, you know, I felt like the good one. You know, I oh, felt yeah. like kind of the golden child in some ways. Um, I was, you know, there was all these sort of goals that you could achieve. You had these achievements that you could make if you wanted to. And so I was achieving these goals and I was like moving my way up in the program. And um, you would wake up, you would um, pack up all your stuff. So like pack up your pack and um, your tarp. We would make breakfast, which was usually like we would make oatmeal over the fire usually. Um, and everyone had like their own bowl. So you had the same bowl that you would use for every meal and you would clean it out. Um, usually with your tongue, but you would clean it out after Mm -hmm. every meal and you'd put it in your pack and then you'd get it back out. Um, and then we'd hike all morning rain or shine. So Mm -hmm. when it rained, you know, you'd put your raincoat on and just go. Um, the sunny days were really nice. When I first got there, it was April. So it was still snowing. That was really um, tricky. So you would wake up and you'd have snow on your sleeping bag and like snow on your, and it was really cold. Um, but during the day you, you would hike and then you would have, um, you know, like little breaks occasionally, right. For like water, or we usually got Gatorade, um, that we could ration out for ourselves. So everybody would have their own ration of Gatorade and they could, they could drink that as they wanted to. Um, and then we would stop for lunch um and then we would hike again until we were done and then we get to a new camp and you would work hard to get everything set up you would get a fire made Um, we had to pump our own water from the stream so like um two people usually would go find the stream and pump everybody's water bottles so everyone had water um and yeah we would set up camp we'd dig a latrine so that like people could poop in this hole and (laughs) Um, it was just like, you know, it was a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. It was a lot of work. It was like a lot of labor in some ways. It was just a lot of simplicity. It was just the things that you needed for survival, right? You had to get to the next place and then you had to create that space so that you could sleep there and, and make food to eat. Um, and so you were really only worrying about survival in a lot of ways. Um, which I think sort of takes there's something healing about that in its own way. Yeah. Did you feel healing in your anxiety? Did you feel healing concerning spirituality? What, what did you yeah. feel when you emerged, I guess? What? Yeah. I mean, the camp itself was not religious at all, okay. um, which was okay. helpful um, for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. There was literally zero spirituality talk. You know, it was all about um, yourself and finding inner strength. And, and that was really healing for me because that's just not something that's really talked about in Christianity is this idea of inner strength and this idea of, um, that you do have the ability to make things happen for yourself. Mm. Um, and you can make choices, you know, um, and you don't have to wait on God for everything. And that was just a very different taking kind of control of my own life was a very new, idea to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, that was, I think very healing in itself. Um, I still was very drawn to Christianity at this point. I mean, I remember when they, um, I reach a certain level and I could have, um, something from my locker. So they would like go back to the original place where I had, um, 
come the first day and I had dropped off all my stuff and put on their clothes and that kind of thing. And so I could have one thing for my locker and I asked for my Bible. Mm. And I wonder now looking back, like if I asked for my Bible, cause I felt like I needed to ask for my Bible. Like if I felt like that's like what you do when you are having a hard time or when like you ask for your Bible, you read your Bible, you know? So I wonder yeah. sometimes if that was still sort of this imprint on what I felt that I needed to be. Mm -hmm. um, but my Bible had been a large comfort for me as a teenager. I wrote notes in it. It was sort of like a journal of sorts. Um, I, I felt like it held the answers. And so I was always looking for the answers um, mm -hmm. to my questions and to my problems. And so, um, so it was, it was definitely, my faith was definitely woven in. Mm -hmm. um, at night when I was really scared, I would often like sing worship songs to myself um, or just talk to God. And I do think in many ways that was, that helped me a lot feeling like I had something outside of myself mm -hmm. near me and looking out for me. Mm -hmm. um, so there definitely was a piece of my faith that was interwoven into that experience. And I think in many ways um, helpful because I don't think that I can blame my religious upbringing on my anxiety fully. Okay. You know, I think okay. I was born highly sensitive, born very empathetic. Um, I was born somebody who in a world like this, a hundred percent would have anxiety. Hmm. So that yeah. definitely, I definitely believe that to be true. I think that um, my religious upbringing exacerbated a lot of that. Okay. That was kind of already brewing in me. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if, if maybe if I would have experienced life a little bit differently as a young person, or maybe if I would have, um, absorbed some more positive self messages that it would have shifted things for mm. me a little bit. Yeah. That's good to know because I, I guess that is something I was like, okay, so did, did the anxiety come about because of Christianity and you, you said exasperated and that I think is um, helpful to distinguish um, because, you know, we have so many listeners that I, we don't know. We don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> but um, I think that's very, I don't know, it's neat to be able to look outside of yourself and look back and start to pinpoint different things um, and where things came from. I think it's so easy um, to try and pinpoint our struggles on one thing, yeah. you know, um, and I think it's easy, especially once you've sort of backed out of your religion a little bit to look back in and, and see all of the things that were messed up. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of messages that looking back, I'm like, this was so harmful to me mm -hmm. and is still, I'm still trying to unpack that. Um, but I do think it's also important to really be able to look inside ourselves and, and see some of maybe the other things that have contributed to our pain, yeah. you know, because we're multifaceted beings and we've, we've experienced many, many things. And there's many points in, in my life, um, that I, as a highly sensitive person internalized that maybe somebody else might not have internalized the same yeah. way. Um, yeah. and I think that's true sometimes for religion. I, I have a friend who, um, I was talking with her a few months ago and she had said to me, you know, I'm really, really, I'm sad for what you've experienced in the church. Um, mm. and, and she said, I don't want this to come off insensitive, but there's some things that I just, that I'm, that I know affected you greatly that just didn't really affect me as much. Like I just yeah. kind of looked at it and said, oh, this doesn't really resonate with me and let, was able to sort of just leave it. Yeah. Um, but that was something that I absorbed, you know, 
something that I might have absorbed early on that changed the way that I see the world. And so it's so interesting, I think, too, to think about some of those things. Yeah. Um, we all respond differently. And that's why it's so important to be so sensitive to other people's experiences, because mm-hmm. just because it hasn't affected you the same way, or just because it hasn't affected me the same way, doesn't mean that it hasn't been incredibly detrimental to, um, to the other person. Yeah, that's such a good point. Overall, the wilderness camp did give me a healthy reset. I was able to function um, much more on the day-to-day than I had been before, for mm, sure. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, my boarding school was really, I mean, I, I, you'd go, you went to school all year round, and then you'd have these sort of, like, two, two-week breaks every so often. So I know some boarding schools work like that. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I just basically just, I did school. Um, I had a therapist there that I worked with, um, and I had some group therapy that I did, but it was, I mean, people were there for school. Yeah. <laughs> so you would get up and you would go to class and you would have lunch and you would go to class and then you would, um, you know, have, have some time, have some break time. And then you would, um, go to dinner and then you'd do homework. Um, I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely an interesting experience. I mean, I know things have come out more and more about these sort of like therapeutic institutions like Paris Hilton has talked about her experience at one. And, um, you know, there's been some things that have come out about places like this. And so that's been, there's been some unpacking of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had definitely like a largely, I would say overall positive experience, but I also wasn't really causing any, any waves. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. was, I was pretty like easy Um, in a lot of ways. And so I know that people, other girls who were in a similar situation to me experienced some things very differently. Um, and there are things that I can look back on and say like, wow, that was not okay that that was happening. Hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot that I still am unpacking, I think from my time, both in wilderness and boarding school, like being able to sift through the goods and the bads and say, you know, this was very helpful for me in this way, but this was very toxic in this way and being able to hold both of those spaces. So I, I even still feel like I'm working through, um, yeah, yeah, working through some of those things. Um, but I think in general, being a 16 year old kid, um, taken from my family. And, and I mean, I never really went, I never really went home again. I mean, I was Mm. home for a few weeks between boarding school and college. And so, um, you know, 16 for me, it was like, I was out of my home and I missed a lot of things that Mm. were going on with my family. And so that, that, you know, ultimately was really, really hard for me for sure. Yeah, that would, I, yeah, that would be very hard. I feel like even for someone who wasn't having the same levels of anxiety. Um, so, okay. So you went to boarding school, went to college, uh, got married, have kiddos, correct? You, how many kids do you have? Yeah, I have two. Okay. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Oh, nice. And, and you said your deconstruction really kicked off with when your five-year-old was two. Can you tell us more about that? You know, what was the thing that kind of set it off in full motion and, and how has that played out since then? Yeah. I mean, this had been brewing for a long time, so I don't know if I can say, oh, there was one specific moment. I mean, this had been brewing since I was a child. Um, We went to a really, a pretty like small church in our community. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we really liked the people there. We had like a pretty, largely a pretty good experience there. There was nothing about the church itself that I was like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was fine for us. It was a community for us. Um, and I mean, that was largely what it was. It was a community for us. Um, but I was kind of, I would sit there and my husband was never fully, um, I don't think he felt the same level of sort of guilt and shame that I felt in response to my faith. So I felt like I needed to go to church because that's what you do and you can't miss a Sunday and those types of things. And he never felt, I think that same level of we have to do this. And so that was very helpful for me as I was kind of deconstructing some of those beliefs because he was like, all right, let's stay home, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So we, but I would go to church and I would, I would sort of be sitting there and listening to these sermons that I just couldn't get on board with and Mm -hmm. listening to these worship songs that I just couldn't get on board with. And it just felt like, it just felt like it no longer resonated with me and it was no longer who I, who I was. And I was finding God in different ways. And I was, um, seeing Christianity in a very different light than, than the people that I was surrounded by. Um, and I felt that for a while. Um, there was a few instances where I, I had written things for the church or the church had asked me to write things and then, um, you know, had come back to me and said like, oh, can you actually not write it like this? That sort of, mm. um, that I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can do that. That doesn't feel true to me. Right. And so those yeah. sorts of things kind of spurred me on a little bit too. But, um, I think when my, my daughter was two, my son was a baby and, we're going to church. I mean, we're getting ourselves to church every Sunday after not sleeping half the night, right. With a mm-hmm. newborn. And we end up spending half the time or more out in the hallway. Anyways, anyways, cause somebody needs to eat or somebody's screaming or, and I was just thinking to myself, like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? This mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense for our family. We're getting nothing out of this. Like I'm just doing this because I feel like I need to show up and people need me to show up. Um, and then COVID happened. Right. And so the world kind of shut down and things started to look very, very different. And so I've heard a lot of people say that their faith shifted in COVID Mm -hmm. because they realized like, Oh, I actually don't really need to go to church for my own self. Like I was going for other reasons, not necessarily for my own personal faith. Um, but that was a major shift for us. We just didn't go back. Um, So in a lot of ways, I was sort of like saved by the bell on that one, right? Because I hadn't really been able to make this decision that I had wanted to make. Um, And we watched, we watched some sermons online for a little while. um, And then I just started to fall into this different way of um, meeting with God that very much surrounded this idea of personal healing Mm -hmm. and was less about, um, like meeting these sort of religious expectations or trying to find God in these very specific ways. It was more of this like internal, internal journey with myself um, that started to feel very like reverent and holy and so, so very important. Um, And it completely shifted the way that I think about the divine and the universe and our connection to each other and all of those things. Mm, that is beautiful. Wow. I definitely need to hear. I want to hear more about that. I want to back <laughs> up for just a second though. I, as you're talking, I'm like, this is giving me some new insight because even just this week, um, one of my more evangelical friends was, you know, saying, you know, don't you miss, um, 
being not connected to the body. And you know, the, the lingo, right? Don't you miss um, the fellowship that comes with regular church services? And, mm. and it was this interesting thought of, we've been taught, I, I assume you've been taught this too, kind of like, yeah, you can be a Christian and not go to church, or you can be a Christ follower and not go to church, but are you really like, there's something, you know, you're not getting fed in the same way, or you're not getting connected to God in the same way. And since doing my, you know, deconstruction journey and being more online and having very meaningful discussions, but not in the same format we were taught we were supposed to have them in, I'm like, this feels so much more like church in some ways, which is so weird because it's like, of course, we're having conversations that the evangelical church in America would be like, mm, no, that's not right. This is wrong. We need to follow the pattern. But I'm just, I just think it's funny that we were taught, you know, if you leave church, you're going to feel like you're starving for something. And I have not found that to be true. And not that I'm fully left church. In fact, it's been a lot of traveling we've been doing, so we haven't been as connected. But I'm like, no, I don't think that was true. And I really am intrigued with how you're talking about finding God in new ways, especially personal healing, because I think one thing I've been unpacking is how we are so often told, you know, for you to be broken is actually a good thing. It makes you dependent on God. It makes you run to God. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why is a broken human being in a better state with God than someone who is whole and healed? And like, it just seems so strange to me on this mm. side of things that that's almost like glorified. Like you're having these problems. Good. Now you have to run to God. I don't know if that was a mm. message you ever received, um, but that was something that I kind of had. It was like glorifying, you know, your inability to do things on your own. And right. it's like, why is that better than being able to do the things we actually can do on our own, you know? So I just want to hear a little bit more about um, how you did start connecting to God. I know you've shared some of that, but with the personal healing, what have been some of the most meaningful moments for you spiritually after leaving church, after leaving kind of the system? Um, what's that look like? Yeah. I mean, someone asked me today online, like, how do I connect with God as a mom, like throughout my day to day? Hmm. Um, and the very simple answer to that question is like, I don't ah. like, I, cause I think what people are looking for is like, what are these concrete things that you do? Like, do you have Bible verses sitting by your sink while you wash dishes? Like what, you know, people are looking for these sort of concrete things. And I don't like actively try to connect with God, if that makes sense, yeah. which sounds very like counterintuitive, but I'm not like throughout my day thinking about how I can connect with God more mm. or what can I do to connect with God. Um, I really sort of taken this stance that like, if God is within me and is within all of us, which I believe that God is, whether or not you say this very specific prayer that, you know, we are taught you need to say, um, if God is within us, then the things that I do throughout the day to ground myself are forms of worship and are holy and bring joy to God and myself. And so largely the way that I connect with God on the day to day are in those moments. Um, mm. And some of those things look like walking around outside barefoot or um, for me, it's a lot of like outside stuff. We're not especially naturey people. So we're not like camping folk. Yeah. Um, but I do love 
to be outside um, and nature really speaks to me. So walking barefoot out in our backyard or sometimes I'll just like let my kids out the back and they'll just be playing and I'll just be sitting in a chair like with my face turned towards the sun. Um, Mm. So just like these learning to feed myself again, like learning to make sure that I'm eating food when I'm hungry, Um, like meeting my meeting my own bodily needs feels very like holy in its own way because these were things that I felt like I was taught um to sort of restrict like you kind of said this you're it's sort of like when you're broken like that's when God meets you right Mm. so like don't meet your own needs don't meet your needs you know stay in this level of um you know uncertainty or um unhappiness because your joy can really only be found in the Lord like seeking real healing just felt like it wasn't really a top priority. Um, But I've made a shift that it is um, Mm -hmm. and that we don't need to be sort of like waiting for this idea of after, right? Like this idea that we grew up with of heaven, heaven is where you're healed. You know, it it doesn't have to be like that. We can find healing on earth. And what does that look like? Um, So, I mean, it's just a lot. It's a lot of healing my soul. It's a lot of healing my own trauma, um, trying to heal generational trauma from my family line. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe some more mystical and eclectic things to some people, but um, things that I've done some research on and um, I found to just be um, really, really important, like embodiment and um, just some like sacred practices that, um, are inward as opposed to outward. Yeah. Oh, Liz, that's so beautiful. That's so (laughs) beautiful because I think I, as a child was trying to condition myself so much to think of God constantly, you know, pray without ceasing, do this thing. It's like this, I told myself, this is the natural state of things. And in so many ways, it makes me think how far I was falling from the natural state of things. And how far was I falling from like, everything is holy in a way, you know, everything is the divine dance in a way. And I I don't know, just listening to you talk, it's like, ah, it's like a return to home or something. I don't know. That's what it sounds like you're saying, which is really beautiful. Um, I'm very curious also about how you relate to Christianity, to the term Christian, if you're willing to share, because I know that this is kind of this is a term that has been used to mean so many things. And so, you know, in my first season, I would ask people, what are you? Are you a Christian, agnostic, atheist? And it's like, I started getting people who are like, I don't know how to answer that. And (laughs) it's such an interesting thing. And it's something I have been thinking through. I know listeners have been thinking through, but how do you relate to Christianity, especially within the evangelical lens that um, I, I believe, you know, you and I have both been a part of at times. What is that? What's your relationship now? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's such a, it's, it is such a hard question. I think for all of us who are in this space, um, I very much still consider myself a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I would say very much, but I do can still, still consider myself as a Christian mm-hmm. largely because, um, there's still some things about Christianity that I identify as um, helpful for me. Mm-hmm. One of those things being um, Jesus and this idea of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and 
I think it, it becomes sort of tricky. I think a lot of people would say, oh, well, you don't believe in um, atonement theory and you don't like you don't yeah. really believe in, you know, you don't believe in hell, you know, so like, what are you really holding on to? And I mm-hmm. think that's a great question. Um, I think there for me and for others like me, um, there is this movement toward this idea that we have created Christianity to be something that it's not. And it's almost like so many of us are kind of trying to go back to this, to something different, you know, something that Christianity could be without the politics um, and, you know, um, the patriarchy and, you know, like some of these, like some of these other things that are going on just like in any institution, right? So what happens if we go back to the beginning and we sort of deconstruct some of those things? Um, so that would be, I mean, I think that's, I'm holding on to Christianity, I think, because it, it's a huge part of me. It just yeah. is. It is a huge part of me and will always be a huge part of me. And um, just like anything that you love, you kind of want to save it from itself. And so I think there's just mm. this this piece of me that wants to see Christianity like redeemed um, mm. and want to see it really be a safe place for people. Um to find hope and love and vulnerability and peace and all of these things that I know that God is. Um, And so I think that's why I hold on to it so tightly. I think if you put Christianity or modern Christianity down on paper, and then you put like my beliefs down on paper, you'd be like, eh, (laughs) I'm not so sure that, you know, Um, but, um, but I mean, I think the really great thing is, I mean, people would disagree, but nobody really gets to define your faith for you. So, um, you know, that's kind of how I've defined it, defined it for me. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of beliefs that have changed, you know, that have shifted. And, um, I think in many ways, I believe that, um, there's many religions that lead us to sort of this same idea of God or same idea of divinity, Um, so I no longer hold the belief that because I believe something, it must be true for other people. Um, so that's given me a lot of freedom too. Like this is my journey and this is my faith journey and Christianity can resonate for me. Um, but that's not, it's not fair to say that, um, you know, Buddhists or Muslims somehow are missing the boat and their, um, their religious practices can also be sacred and can also lead them to, um, to the divine. So that was just a lot in like one, a lot of words. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's so good because I think it's true. You know, we, we are are taught, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And we, we take that to mean something. I don't even think it necessarily means, um, to mean like only within Christianity are you saved. And I've been pondering lately, did we create Christianity? Like God, you know, if we still believe God sent the person of Christ. Okay. But this whole system, this whole, like, it's, it's something I've been mulling over is this, you know, God, we say God sent Christ, but did God send Christianity? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting yeah. to think yeah. about. Um, so your dad is Pete Inns, who has written a lot of things. He's, he's, um, a co-host of the Bible for normal people, which has been very helpful to many in the deconstruction community as well. And I am so curious, Liz, just about how your journeys have intersected because, you know, I'm just looking at like my list of resources. I have his podcast. I have your podcast. And I, I just, yeah, could you share a little bit about how, 
your journeys have impacted each other spiritually. Um, I'm sure the parent child dynamic has been, well, definitely was part of that part of it at the beginning. And now it's shifted as you're both adults, I'm sure, but just anything you'd be willing to share about how that has panned out in your relationship with your dad. Yeah. I mean, my dad and I are very, we're very different in a lot of ways, but very similar in a lot of ways, the way that we kind of like approach, approach life and approach projects that we're working on, um, is very similar. So I think maybe from the beginning, I was sort of destined to be like the one kid out of, um, the three of us who was maybe going to like go in a similar path to my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, we both have this like great, great love for God. And I think this great, great tenderness for Christianity. Um, and so, you know, while he works from like a lot more of like an academic place, a lot of times, um, you know, I work from this very, very emotional place, but I think our desire for what we want people to be able to find in that is the same, you know, a space of like healing and peace and wholeness and um, self-reflection and, um, just an opportunity to learn and grow in the ways that make sense for us. And so I think there's a lot of similarities there. Um, my dad and I, I mean, my dad, I think largely has been going on this journey uh, along with me in many ways. Um, as I was a teenager, my dad was really starting his own deconstructing journey pretty intensely, which he, you know, has talked about at length publicly. Mm -hmm. So I don't really mind sharing that, but yeah. we were sort of doing it a little bit at the same time, um, which was, you know, which was cool in a lot of ways. There was things that our relationship needed to heal from um, mine and his that we were sort of working through at the same time. And then um, some of these faith, faith ideas shifting. And it, I don't really take it for granted having um, a parent that was shifting their belief system at the same time that I was. Um, it's, you know, for a lot of us losing our family as we deconstruct, that's kind of a huge piece. And there have been people that I've loved that I've lost along the way. But um, my dad's shift of some of, his, some of his thought processes and my shift um, was very helpful and very healing to me mm -hmm. um, and has kind of continued to be. I mean, I find a lot of his resources to be very helpful for myself as well. Um, and just knowing that, you know, there really is a safe space for me to explore um, my spirituality in literally any any way that feels right for me and that he will be supportive of that, you know, is really, has been really, really important to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, again, that's sort of like in a nutshell how that's mm -hmm. been for us. Um, yeah. You know, my dad, I think my dad becomes more, more um, like emotional as, like as he ages too, like a little bit more tender, like he sort of started out really academic. And then you can kind of see like, as his books have progressed, like there's, there's this sort of like reach for something um, like vulnerable, um, mm -hmm. which I think sometimes too, like as we deconstruct in general, as we're deconstructing belief systems, um, it gives us this like freedom to tap into what's going on, like in our own selves. And so it's been kind of cool to like watch him d do that too, you know, yeah. kind of like go on yeah. that journey to like dig deep 
Um, he has so many like wonderful academic things to say, but he also has a story because he's a person. And so mm -hmm. um, it's been cool to watch, to like watch him be able to share some of that stuff too. Yeah. Ah, that's so neat. That's so interesting too. I've wondered how that dynamic would be with both of you. So that's very cool. Thank you. For yeah. Sharing that. I mean, it's interesting. It's, I mean, it's always, I mean, it's like, it's the father daughter dynamic, no matter, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, no matter it, like, you know, it's like not this sort of like perfect everything all the time kind of situation. Um, yeah. But it's just, but we've had, we, there have been times when our journeys have been, you know, similar or coexisted in similar ways. And so, um, you know, that's been, that's been really cool and um, really helpful. And I can always text him and say like, what did this, what was the original translation of this? Like how oh, did, yeah. you know, <laughs> he, can, he can respond, which is like really helpful He's like a or if I have like actual questions, yeah. you know, like that. That's just cool. cool. That is cool. How is last question? I, I promise. <laughs> last no, question. Okay. I just, they keep popping up to me, but has that influenced, um, how you parent as a deconstructed parent? Um, or what has influenced how you're parenting now? Because if you're like me, it's probably looking different than you initially envisioned. I think I envisioned, you know, I'd be the super like Bible verse mom, um, and here we are in this un unknown land. So if you could just briefly, I mean, you have a whole podcast about it, but briefly tell us about how deconstruction has impacted parenting, how maybe your relationship with him has impacted that. Um, yeah. Anything you want to share on that briefly? Yeah. <laughs> Such a loaded question um, at the end here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know it is loaded. I mean, it, but I think in so many ways, you know, I'm parenting my kids differently than, I was parented mm. um, because I'm really largely parenting without religious influence. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it, I definitely thought I would be, and maybe I was in the beginning, you know, right. Like sort of like we go to church every Sunday and like, we probably mm -hmm. need to do family devotions. And then like, we need to make sure that like Advent looks like this. And like, there was sort of all these boxes that I felt like I needed to check off. And some of those were from my own childhood, you know, because those were, th that was how I was raised. And so I felt like a, gosh, I have to raise my kids like this, right? Cause this is what I know. Like, this is how you raise children. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of things that my parents did, you know, in, in raising us that my dad would say he wouldn't do the same if he had to go back and do it differently. You know, they've, they've sort of, I know my parents have made sort of some changes and my dad, you know, has voiced to me that he there's many things that he wouldn't do again that he you know we've had to talk through mm -hmm. um but i think it's very difficult when you become a parent and you um you know you kind of you're learning to do it without utilizing any of the things that you absorbed yeah. as a kid right because yeah. you're like all yeah. right well here now i'm gonna do this and um, if it weren't for Dr. Becky good inside, I don't know how I would be parenting. I don't know if you know who she is. I no. love Dr. Becky, but okay, well, find her on Instagram. Okay. She's all over the place. Find her on Instagram. <laughs> she's great. Um, or Janet Lansbury. She's another one that I like, love, love, love. But okay. you know, um, some of these ways I'm parenting more, I think, um, less from a religious and eternal perspective, right? So mm -hmm. I'm parenting less to keep my kids from hell. And I think that's, in some ways, how my parents parented me, right? Like yeah. we must save her eternal life. That's what's important. That's what's the most important thing. 
Um, and, you know, Esther has said that too on our podcast. My co-host has said like her kids are older and she has said that's how she parented. She parented out of this fear for eternity. Mm -hmm. And so when I've sort of taken this idea of hell off the table and I'm no longer parenting um, so that my kids don't burn yeah. because I don't believe in that anymore. Right. So um, I'm parenting them very differently. I'm parenting them for right now. I'm parenting mm -hmm. them for the needs that they have right now. Um, I'm parenting them more gently because I'm not parenting. I mean, not that I'm not, sometimes I parent from fear because I'm human, but mm -hmm. my intention, right, is not to parent from this place of fear, but from this place of like, how can I give you the tools that you need to explore the world in the way that you're going to explore the world? Mm. Um, yeah. And I can't really imagine the level of anxiety I would have parenting from a place of seeking eternal safety yeah. for my kid like I the amount of anxiety that motherhood just causes in general yeah. like the amount of anxiety that's already exists yeah. I can't really imagine um if I was parenting from this place of like oh my gosh if they do this and this and this and this and this and this and this so I mean and sometimes I mean I still have moments of like oh gosh like is it going to affect them if they don't have this like religious community that I did that I did you know there's still some of those like questions that pop up yeah. because um, we all sort of wonder, even as you're deconstructing, like, what if I, what if this isn't actually right? What if something else is, you know, like all of those crazy mind games that we yeah. play with ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I, I, um, yeah, I don't know, whatever we're doing, I feel like is working for our family. And when it's not, then I just try to make little shifts and pivots. Um, but Again, it's really just like I kind of approach parenting the same way that I'm approaching my own life. Like healing is utmost priority, like healing and nervous system regulation and all of these things that, you know, weren't really that I wasn't really focused on, you know, until mm -hmm. I was probably 30. Wow. That's beautiful to hear that, like, it's working for your family. I think that's so encouraging because... There are times where I'm like, is this working? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And it's like, you know what? Our our best is enough. I think that's something also we don't hear in Christianity. Your best is never enough. <laughs> and right. there's some sort of um, peace that comes with that mindset because you're like, oh, that's okay. It's covered anyway. But there's a different kind of peace when you are living in your body and in your experience and you are saying, my best is enough here. It is enough. It's what I'm called to right now to give to these people I love. So I really appreciate yeah. you just sharing that with us. Um, as we finish up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can connect with you? Well, on Instagram and Facebook, I'm the deconstructed mama. Um, Liz Enns Petters is my handle. Um, I'm also on threads as Liz Enns Petters. Um, I've denounced Twitter at this point, so I'm not okay. really on there that much anymore, but, um, our podcast, um, Deconstructing Mamas is um, everywhere that you listen to podcasts um, and we're on Facebook and Instagram is the same. Um, so yeah, those are all places that you can find me. Yeah. And you've, you contributed to a book, Deconstructing Hell, correct? Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. That came out um, last December, I guess. So yeah, I know that concept can be really tricky for people, but if you're somebody who's sort of trying to deconstruct this idea of hell um, and what, what that looks like and the shifts that, that, you, that, you know, that you need to make it when you're deconstructing that, um, that's just a really good book. It's a really good resource. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So I would really encourage you to, to look at that. I know that can be like an especially triggering um, concept to deconstruct because it, it, I mean, that was sort of like the epitome of everything that we believed. Right. So um, can be really hard when you all of a sudden don't feel like you believe that anymore. It doesn't resonate with you. Yeah. Well, Liz, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been really fun talking to you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.